0: I'm your host, Chris Freeman. I'm a high-tech sales leader, real estate investor, and lifetime learner. Welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Freeman. And before we get into our next episode, I wanna say thank you to all of the great feedback and suggestions that I've received from you, the listener. For example, We have just started working on a few what I'm calling C level segments where I will be bringing on a guest, you know, C level CIO, uh, CIO, CISO, uh, or equivalent, um, you know, really the person from the other side of the selling table. And that's just, uh, that was a great suggestion from somebody that reached out to me. I also sincerely appreciate the referrals that some listeners have brought to me for other top performers that they wanted to see on the show helps a ton. And then finally, uh, thank you for the positive reviews and the five-star ratings that you have done in the different podcast apps. Look, these reviews, they matter. And they really matter when I'm trying to go out and book a high-end author, a high-end speaker. You know, They want to see that the show is legit and has a following. So it helps a ton. So a little plug, if you haven't left a five-star review yet, please do. And, and then let me know, what do you like about the show? All right, well, let's jump into our next guest. I'm really excited to have Sreethur Ramanathan on the show. So I often talk about, or during my uh, past shows, I'm often asking the question, hey, what separates top performers from the rest of the pack? Well, Sreether is a COO and co-founder of a high-tech marketing group that helps enterprise sales professionals and product teams with their go-to-market messaging, and branding. And you know what's interesting is as part of the process and the service that they provide, they need to go out and speak and interview with the top 10% of the sales force with the company that they're helping to develop uh, plans, sales plans, and playbooks that the rest of the sales force will benefit from. So think about it. As a result, he has really great insights into some top performing selling habits. And by the way, he is also responsible for selling his own services. So he's out there doing what he talks about every single week. So with that, let's jump into the interview. All right, well, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. Three It's really a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you for joining us.
1: Oh, it's great to be, be with you here, Chris, and I appreciate your podcast series. It's fantastic. I've already yeah. heard several pieces and super informative. Thank you
0: for oh. having me. On. Oh, well, thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. That's, that's fantastic. Well, um, can you just, why don't you provide the audience a little bit more uh, background about uh, where you're at and how, how you, your journey and how you ended up where you're at today and kind of the sales and marketing role. Yeah, absolutely. I've been in sales marketing for
1: the bulk of my career Uh, Most of my early career was at HP. Went up the ladder after about 12 years, was an executive in HP Managed Services. I ran marketing. I also had sales folks in in the organization. Um, And then I built an organization with my co-founder, Jeff Thompson, and I. We built a Venti Group, and we're a high-tech marketing agency. We work with technology companies, large publicly traded firms like Rockwell Automation and Adobe and Zendesk. You know, a lot of big firms, but also earlier stage pre-IPO firms. And in both of these accounts, we do a lot of work with sales professionals, enterprise sales reps, sales development reps inside sales reps. Um, so kind of live and breathe working with sales folks. In addition, here at Aventi, since I am the COO and co-founder, uh, I do a lot of personal selling, of course, because I carry bags, so to speak, as all my Aventi partners do. We have eight partners in the firm. And so I absolutely are, am in the trenches with everybody else in sales. So does that help yeah. you? That's how I got to where I am now. And you know, there are times where I've played acting VP of sales for a period of a number of quarters when Some of our tech clients are in that early stage where they're just building out their executive team. So, I've popped in there and actually run the sales team uh, as well. So, those are some interesting tidbits. Last year, Chris, just to close on that, it was an amazing year. I did 210% of quota and I have a $7 million quota here at Aventi Group. Oh, so wow. 210% is amazing. Every year I, I outperformed, but last year it was just superlative. So, it's just, yeah, why, that one. I get well, it. <laughs> yeah. what do you think that
0: was? I'm just curious.
1: Well, part of it is, of course, the market or marketing uh, agencies and kind of the expertise we provide, which is called product marketing and sales enablement is just really hot right now. The tech firms are feeding salespeople with all these tools and trainings and materials and they need help. So that's one reason. I think the other is our model is uh, we have expertise that a lot of companies don't have. It's technology depth. Selling tech is very different from selling, oh, I don't know, soap detergent or something door-to-door. Very, very different skills. So I think we, and our reputation is just getting out there. So those are some factors play to our advantage, I think, on the growth.
0: Yeah. And yeah B- just, business uh, is building up and you're you're getting under you're continuing absolutely. to grow. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And we're already pretty big. I've got about 125 uh, full-time folks in the company. So all US-based, all work from home-based. So I think our clients, our tech firms are just coming to us. A lot of it is through search engine optimization. Also a bit of LinkedIn outreach kind of stuff we're doing, you know, I'm selling, we're selling. So that's yeah.
0: part of the growth strategy as well. It's one-on-one selling. Well, let's come back in a few minutes. Let's come back to that LinkedIn strategy. I'd like to talk to, talk to you a little bit more about totally. that. Uh, I guess I'm curious when you were, so you were at a pretty high level at HP yeah. and at some point, you decided to leave and you and your partner uh, decided to start a company. What was the problem that you were seeing out there that you felt like you could go do it better than how other people were doing?
1: The main problem we found is a lot of marketing folks, no disrespect, no disrespect. Um, are kind of generic, meaning if you're in the tech sector and let's say you're in cybersecurity, for example, or maybe you're in a field like uh, network security, or maybe you're in business intelligence and you know data analytics. I mean, these are really technical fields that require often an undergraduate degree in engineering, an MBA. Sure, that's nice. Um, but a lot of marketers aren't technically deep enough. And so sometimes our tech clients are frustrated. So they the hire a marketing person. The marketing person is good at you know doing the website copy and doing stuff, but they're not technical enough. And where we come in is, All of our folks have worked in high-tech companies. They have deep expertise in specific technology areas. And there are about 12 of them both technology sectors where we really shine. And so that's one of the areas. That's the problem we're solving for is how do we get marketers, B2B marketers, to really be deep in technology so that they can be effective and come snap right in there and start developing sales materials, for example. Does that make sense? So that's what we're solving for, deep technical expertise. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah, and then then having and then producing content and collateral that, that, that aligns with what the sales force needs to be able to go out. Right. be effective.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, what, one of the things that irritates sales so much is marketing will give them some stuff that go, "Wow, oh, this is kind of generic. It's sort of crap. I need something that's very hard-hitting and specific to this technology, to my competitors, my client, base, customer base, you know? And the stuff that comes from marketing often is just not good enough. And we fill in that gap on what's not good enough to what's great and what they actually need and want. And usually it's not a bunch of words. It's, it's here are the questions you should be asking. Here's the consultative conversation you want to lead. Here's the, uh, traps you want to set to uh, alienate some of your competitors. So uh, those are some of the reasons I think people come to us there, Chris. It's a good.
0: Question. Yeah, I love that. I love that. It's um, so, I, and I don't want to say anything disparaging and, uh, about yeah. marketing. I, this is more of a debate that I have with one of my good marketing friends, but it's like, yeah, the challenge that uh, that I sometimes have with him is, you know, how are you being measured? Because it seems like you're always doing great, yet, you know, what I'm seeing or hearing is we're not getting the things that we actually want from marketing to go do our job. So yeah, there's a disconnect somewhere. And so clearly you picked up on that. And, you know, not every company's got it all figured out yet, but it sounds like you're doing a great, doing a great service with what you're offering right now. Well, thank
1: you. Thank you. And the disconnect is classic, right? The classic sales marketing disconnect. Marketing throws leads over, sales reps don't follow up on it is one accusation. The flip side is all you know, the leads are crap to begin with. So that whole gap is unnecessary and we can come in really and help with that because we'll provide better sales tools and better quality lead generation, uh, those sort of things. So, you know, it's not solving world hunger, but it's a real pain point out there with tech firms in particular.
0: So it is man. I'm chuckling because I've been I've been having that conversation for 20 plus years. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the yeah leads. Man, amen.
0: Well let's jump right into it. So you've been um, I mean in your role, you're right in the heart of Silicon Valley. So yeah. you're working with some pretty Literally. name brand technology companies. And I'll leave that up to you to, to share more detail on. But and so you you know in doing that you get to see some of the best. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really interested to hear from your experience both from what you've seen and maybe some of what you do to help out some your clients, what really separates the uh, you know the top 10% from the rest of the pack in terms of you know, great salespeople?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Chris. And you're right. We we do have an unusual access to these top sellers in companies like ServiceNow and Palo Alto Networks, Adobe, Zendesk, all these companies are clients of ours. And the, part of the reason they hire us is they want us to get into the mind of that top 10 seller and extract from them what they're doing so that the other 90% can benefit, right? And that comes in the form of things like sales playbooks or cheat sheet and call scripts, all those things. Now, where do we get that? Well, we have to go interview these top 10%, interview them, watch them in action, action, listen to them on a customer or prospect call, see what they're doing. And then there are tools like Gong.io, which you've heard of, people are using often, uh, but it takes, you know, a really good brain to extract from the Gong IO conversations and from the rep itself. What are they doing? And so we've gleaned, I've got like the top five things that I see these top enterprise sales, sellers are doing. And I can share that out with you. But yeah. the source of that comes from these world-class tech companies and interviewing and hanging out and being with those top sellers uh, because we're trying to arm the next Quartile down, two or three quartiles down. So, would you like me, Chris, to kind of? I would
0: love to. uh, I'd I'd love to hear all five if you have time to share them all.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, it starts with doing homework. What we've observed these top sellers are doing is before they get on a call with a prospect, and obviously, it's a prospect. So, I'm I'm leaving aside for a moment an existing customer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even if it's an existing customer, uh, number one tip is to do your homework. Let's Let's focus on a prospect. So, let's suppose there's been some marketing work that's been done. You've got this lead contact in a specific company that looks like they're interesting. Doing homework is super important. And sometimes we see that top 10 seller, what they're doing is they will look up that person, the specific contact that they're gonna be speaking to. Let's say in another hour or two, they'll go online, they'll go into LinkedIn, look up the person's name, they'll look up what activity that person's been doing in LinkedIn. As an example, it may not be LinkedIn, it might be other social groups that they're part of. Um, And just learn about that individual. What are they liking? What are they actually posting? Maybe they've made comments. It sounds a little bit creepy, like you're stalking, you're not. You're doing homework. You're really trying to understand the psyche, the interest, the passion, what this person cares about. And that kind of stuff is helpful. Now, you don't want to bring it out necessarily in the prospect meeting itself, because that's going to sound very creepy. But to understand, do the homework on the person, on the industry, on the company, you know, did the stock, uh, how's the stock been performing? If it's public, if it's not public, uh, do they have a recent investment round? So just sounding very educated on the person, the company, the industry will be really important. If you do additional homework, these 10%, another thing they often do is they'll go into some peer review sites, Chris, I'm sure you've heard of these like G2 Forum and Gartner Peer Insights. Uh, Trust Radius is very popular. These are sort of customer review sites for products. If you're a seller and you're about to talk to a prospect, you want to know if this prospect has already been commenting on some of these vendors, right? It gives you some extra insight. So that's really tip number one. I've got, you know, four more to go through, but um, any
0: reactions on the homework question? I love it. You know, when it's, um, you know, sometimes I get a little bit frustrated with this one because it seems so, um, so obvious, but but I mean, I think all of your tips, there's probably gonna be a theme is like, they're, we're not innovating something brand new, we're executing and we're taking, you know, five basic things and they're doing them incredibly well consistently every time. But sometimes you have to innovate how they do those because, you know, information access to information changes, tools change, so how you get some of that information may change. I had a, just as an example, I had a rep that worked for me one time and he was actually trying to grow an existing account where he was just in, uh, just a, an, basically an initial footprint. And so part of his research homework was he went to their end user conference and sat there and listened to what the CEO was saying. And and, you know, they clearly, when you have those end user conferences, you clearly have a message that's being delivered and they've been practicing. And he didn't, you know, highlight the fact that he went to the conference, but was he was delivering his content. He just using their words Mm -hmm. and now it's resonating and you don't have to go to their conference. You can get that same thing from the 10 K. Yeah.
1: I love what you just said there, Chris, about using their words. So the more we can speak in the words of vernacular, you know, the language of the customer, the more they're going to connect with us and really get us. And so, yeah. I love that example. That's great. Yeah, yeah so homework, it, if you look at the top players in sports, you know, they do a huge amount of practice. They don't just walk out on the baseball field, right? And go do it. So homework is preparation. It's what yeah. the top, in uh, any profession, professionals prepare. Yeah, so, and bad, yeah, bad news, if you just new.
0: graduated from college, you're not, and you just took a sales role, you're not done with homework.
1: No, <laughs> no, no, no. It's lifelong. It's lifelong, absolutely. Yeah.
0: All right, what's number two?
1: Well, number two is, you know, you've done all this homework and stuff. Plus you have experience, you know, you have many customers and this customer has made one is looking at maybe one purchase where you've dealt with maybe dozens of customers who have made the same purchase. So in a way, you're in a position to offer advice and insights and tips about the situation that that customer is in. So what is their context, their situation, the problem they're facing, or probably it's an opportunity. You really have a chance to be a consultant. You have a chance to offer some value to that prospect by saying, hey, you know, as I listen to you, this reminds me so much of another customer of ours who's in a similar industry, and this is sort of what they were running into. So maybe validating what you're hearing. My, my third tip is going to be about listening uh-huh. up. But the insights that you're offering is actually really valuable. Insights from the peer group of the customer. Insights from technology trends that might be going on in the industry. Economic trends. Just anything you can do to impart value information. And the other thing is resources. You know, often it's the top 10 sellers, they often will provide, you know, here's a business article you might find interesting. It has nothing to do with your particular vendor product that you're selling. But it's, again, thought leadership. It's education. It's program providing some valuable information, even if they don't buy anything from your company, you've really helped somebody learn. Because most of the, you know, Gardner has a really interesting statistic that something like 70% of deals uh, don't actually ever happen. They, they just die. And part of the reason why is that, that that prospect's not necessarily committed to buying, they're they're learning. They're in the top of the funnel. They're just sort of learning, researching, aware of their problem, maybe trying to figure it out. And you can be of great service. So tip number two is offer insights, be useful, be valuable as an
0: advisor, as a consultant, consultant, consultant. Yeah, I love that. Hello, sales pros. I hope you are enjoying the High Tech Freedom podcast. If you are interested in learning more about passively investing in multifamily real estate, you can download our educational ebook at hightechfreedom.com. While there, you can also sign up for our newsletter where we will provide insights on real estate investing, as well as sales tips so that you can continue to crush it in your high-tech sales role. Now I often hear people say, "Eh, I'll get to that later," or uh, "I'll read that book later." Well, there's no time like the present to improve your knowledge. So I hope you take advantage of at least the newsletter. In the meantime, please reach out if I can help out in any way. Now let's get back to the show. So number three is listen. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, listen, listen, listen. I can't tell you, we both seen this, right, Chris, where sales reps who are very, who have a lot of exuberance and just very focused on how great their product is. And this sometimes comes from the engineering culture and the product development culture that says, we make a cool product. If we show it to people, they're going to want to buy it. Uh, yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. The listen, listen, listen is all about getting that customer to talk about their situation, their pain point. Or what is it that made them want to spend some time with you? So 70% of the call should be the customer or the prospect talking and you're asking questions to kind of draw out their need, their specific situation. And, and you look at, you're listening not just for the words out of their mouth, but the emotion, the tone. You know, what, what vibes are you picking up? Do they sound a little anxious? Are they a little afraid? Maybe they're excited. They're, they're taking on a new hill in their company. Maybe they, they're going to be a shining star and then they're thinking about making an investment that's going to kick ass in the market. So perhaps there's some pride, you know. So when I say listen, 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 it's listen to the words, listen to the, watch the body language, listen to the kind of the tone of their feelings are coming out. Mm -hmm. And when active listening is also responding to what they're actually saying. So going back, Chris, your earlier comment about using the words that the customer's using, use their words. And when you're listening, ask clarifying questions, using their words as much as possible. And it is a fault that again, the 90% of reps aren't doing enough listening. They're just blathering. They're just sort of steamrolling over the account about how great they are. And most people don't want to hear about that. They want to talk and share their experience and what they're about. So that's what the top 10 does. Excellent job listening. They're quiet. They pause. They're comfortable with the pregnant pause. I hope that word is loud. I can use that word, you know, the uncomfortable pause, right? (laughs) Right? Uh, That's good. It's a very powerful tool to just be quiet and let that customer talk, let them unwind their thinking. So those are some thoughts on tip number three. Listen, listen, listen.
0: Yeah. It's uh. it's, it's such a challenge. And especially in a high tech type of sales role, because most of our companies, they spend more time training you on the products than they do on the sales um, tactics or strategies. And so you have all this product information being crammed into your, head. And then you're working probably with a sales engineer. And if a customer is going to ask a question, usually, you know, that sales engineer wants to answer it. And, you know, when you're doing team selling, you know, that those really high caliber teams, you know they understand, all right, I'm going to let my sales partner do his thing or her thing. He or she's not going to answer it right away. They are going to do some follow-up questions. You know, Hey, well, tell me a little bit more about that. Why did that happen? What was the impact of the business? Wow, that must have been tough. You know, for you personally, what was the impact? Um, did you take any flack for that issue that you had? And, you know, some of the data points that come out may be you know, data points that you can use for future selling efforts down the road. But if you don't ask, you'll never know. Um, you'll get to the, you'll get your opportunity to show your wares. But you know, don't lose the opportunity to, to get that intelligence while the customer is willing to share it with you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah Chris, I'm just nodding my head. Getting that intelligence—that's gold, right? That's customers sharing, you know, their world, their experience, their situation. That's, you know, that's gold. A lot of information there. So, yeah. yeah.
0: Just give people right. hard, an opportunity to, to share. Love it. Uh, all right. What's
1: number four? Yeah. Number four is continuing with the listen, listen, listen is to understand the why. The why. And so yes, you have a great product. You're ready to talk about it and how awesome it is compared to your competitor. Uh, But what's going to fuel the whole buying cycle, you know, the sales cycle, The what's going to drive the speed of that sales cycle is the why. It's their motivation more than anything else. No matter how great your product is, they've got to, the customer has to be motivated to, to change. And this goes back to that Gartner statistic I mentioned a moment ago roughly 60% of quote deals never actually transact into a purchase. Why is that? Well, part of the reason is do nothing. You know, status quo, inertia, just the customer is kind of out there. They feel some pain. Maybe it's not painful enough, or maybe they're not motivated enough because there's some things, hurdles they have to get over. So understanding the why and ask the question very directly, well, why not just keep doing what you're doing today? You know, you're, you're a business, you're successful, you're growing, whatever the customer situation is, why not just keep going as is? What's the impact of, or the cost of doing nothing? I wouldn't use those words per se, but Mm -hmm. what is the consequence of just keep doing? Why is this something you personally are feeling like you've got to take on? You know, what's in it for you? These are, I'm not saying to use those exact words, but really get to the why before you get into the what. The what is your solution. to The problem that's facing. Lots of time for that. And if you're doing team selling, your SE or system engineer, those folks, they're going to kill it. They're going to kill that, you know, responsibility of the what. Your job, I think our job as sellers and what the top 10% people do is they really dial in on the why. And not only the why, but the case for change, like, why is this person going to go out on a limb and make a purchase and drive a purchase? Because it's also their own reputation internally, where they go with you, you know, your, your particular technology offering or some other, you know, they're still, they're they're taking a risk <clears throat> and why should they do it? So those are some things to really dig in on. And again, this goes back to emotions, Well, what's the emotion driving that, that case for change? Yeah. And sometimes it's not just financial ROI. Sometimes our tech clients, customers here at Aventi Group, they go, wow, we have this really great ROI and we can save you money, help you make money. That's that's great. That's important. Save that for the CFO. Usually that that line of business executive is making a purchase. That's probably not their number one need. It's usually some other need that's driving it. So back to uh, understand the why. Why yeah. is that we're going to do anything?
0: So you're talking about like with that business owner, maybe they need to launch a new offering or they've got a new brand coming out or there's some other driver there that does. it's going to be important that might be driving ultimately what you're connecting to in terms of a product or technology.
1: Yeah, that's right, Chris. Yeah. New brand could be a new geography that they're expanding into. Maybe the competitive landscape has changed. Maybe there's a new regulation that's affecting them. Uh, maybe they're wanting to launch some new products. You know, we don't really know the context of the purchase, but that's the job of the top 10%. That's what they're doing is figuring out why, what's going on. Yeah.
0: And, you know, the uh, like needing more bandwidth is not a why, right? It's you need more bandwidth because why? That's why. Yeah. Yeah. And or you need more capacity. Well, because we have performance issues. But why does that matter? I, I, I like I think it was this must have been my first job. I just sort of as vague memory of, um, I remember I had, I think, one of my f- first or earlier opportunities to go sell some hubs, some networking hubs. Yeah. And uh, so my manager was asking me, well, why, um, you know, why, why did they have this project? I was like, well, they need more hubs. <laughs> that was my <laughs> why. Just <laughs> not. Nah, you don't get it.
1: Good story. I love it. So, what was the why behind the hubs, by the way, just to finish that story?
0: Oh, it was, you know, actually they were going through, uh, you know, back then it was really new networking connectivity. So, new Ethernet. So, it was really just going from dumb terminals to PCs to, you know, create more flexibility and more streamlined for how the business was running. And I couldn't even tell you what the business probably was doing back then. I mean, that's another thing I was, you know, off topic just a little bit from your top five, but, um, you know, as you're going through all this, you, you really always need to have a very kind of innate understanding of what the company does to make money. And exactly. sometimes it's not always clear, you know, yeah, if you're going out and you're calling on Apple, well, we know how, what Apple does, you know, actually it's pretty complicated in a way, but I've run into many times working with reps, like, well, what do they do? I'm getting ready to go on a sales call with them. Maybe. What do they do? Ah, uh, you know, I'm not. Uh, let me think about that. I was like, you better know. Because If you don't know that, you know, you're, you're, you're going to have a struggle to connect what it is that we're selling to the business.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, a little story about cybersecurity is, you know, we have a lot of clients are in that sector and the why often is fear of a breach that has occurred to one of the peer groups in the same sector. Let's suppose you're in financial services or you're a healthcare organization and one of your competitors got breached. Mm-hmm. You sure don't want that to happen to your company. It, I mean, certainly it's, it's kind of good that, not good, you're going to be better because your competitor just got breached, right? So people are going to come to you because they got breached. However, that's going to motivate you to like, oh man, we have to make sure that our security infrastructure is well locked down and we're not going to get breached. So there's sometimes those kind of a fear motivation. So mm-hmm. the why is we don't want to be screwed like our competitors are screwed by a breach. Yeah.
0: Right? Yeah. And then it's by the way, you know.
1: Talking for a particular solution. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah,
0: Chris. Oh, no. Yeah. So I had, We had a that's little awful. bit of a delay. Yeah. And then by the way, it's if you, you know, if you did get breached, what's, you know, what's, how does that impact the brand? You know, what's what's the impact on revenue, see.
1: reputation, the board coming after you? There's all kinds of consequences of a breach. Well, let's uh, let's move on to number five. Yeah. Well, this has to do with being consultative. I mean, you know, Chris, you and I, we we bought things. Everyone listening today, you have bought things, probably high value items, maybe a very expensive car. Or you bought a home, and if you think about what do some of the best sales experiences, buying experiences are, they tend to be consultative, where you will really look to that sales professional. For for advice, actually, you actually don't look at them just as a transactional person, but you're looking for them to provide some some help in this process. So sometimes we find you know the top ten percent. What they do, it's very interesting. Their their demeanor, Chris. They don't come across as needy, as like desperate or overly pushing the product. They're ready to you know quote sell. They're much more. I sort of don't need you, you know. And it's not an arrogance, by the way. It's not arrogance. There's a word that one of our clients uses called humbledins, which is a combination of two words: humble, confident, <laughs> humble confidence, humble confidence, put it together, humble And the intent of that demeanor is to be consultative. Now, what does a consultant do? They're just offering advice. They're offering input. They're giving you their experience, their wisdom, take it or leave it. That's what a consultant's doing, right? They're not doing the job for you. They're advising. So what these top 10, 10% sellers are doing, Chris, is they act much more consultative. They sort of act like they don't need the deal, which is kind of counterintuitive. And they come across, it's almost like, you know, taking your arm around the customer prospect and, you know, here, let me just share it with what we're seeing with other folks just like you out in the marketplace and what we're seeing and you know we think this makes sense for you and what do you think do you know what i mean so it's much more consultative conversation and and there are methodologies out there all about that you know the challenger sales force management i mean there's a bunch of them out there but people aren't actually doing it they're just so eager to talk about their product and how great it is they got to dial back and and get back to listening get back to being consultative and sharing providing good advice
0: yeah i I wonder how much of that is um you know how much of that you know that not happening is is part tied to, you know, that that drive for the quarterly number, you know, the constant change of accounts, or maybe, you know, there's been a lot of churn as well, but, you know, you're always, there's so many reps that have stepped into new roles, new patches, new territories or accounts, uh, and they're desperate to put up numbers, right? And so they pressure. feel that pressure and that pressure then shows through. Well,
1: yeah. What you said is perfect. It shows through, right? Yeah. So I wonder how do you manage that internally? Yeah. Well, how do you? Why do you? What? No,
0: how do you manage that internally?
1: Well, by stepping back and say, do I, I think it being coming from a place of service. I mean, this is what I personally do. I mean, I've had some very large opportunities with C-level folks of Fortune 10 companies. Boy, would I love to get that logo on Aventi's roster. And one of the things that really worked is, and, and I'm not desperate, I'm not needy, but I, I am ambitious. I, I have that hunter drive within me. It's actually part of my DNA is I, I'm a, a complete hound when it comes to wanting to win. And that may telegraph, but what I what I do before I get on the call with these executives, or maybe it's just one C-level person, is I go, you know, what? let me just pretend this deal is not going to happen how can i make this meeting count just as a meeting not as a seven-figure deal but how do i make this meeting be of service to that individual come from a place of service versus i'm staring at my number oh shit i'm sorry bad word you have to edit that Uh, that's right you know like reduce i've got quota hit if you just park all that and come from a place of service you know to to make the meeting count that i think helps quite a bit and when you do that it's actually magic happens the last thing i do is i actually take the ball away from the customer i might even say you know you know, maybe we're not the best fit for you. I, as much as I would love to be your vendor, uh, we may not be the best fit. So th- if I were in your shoes, these are some things you ought to think about. And we would love to do business with you. Here's where there would be a good fit. You know, when I take the ball away, it is astounding the reaction I get from these executives that I'm selling to. They, they, they just don't expect that. They go, Oh, well, wait, what? Say that again? Yeah. So take the ball away, come from service. Again, it's not an arrogance. It is not coming from a place of arrogance, like I don't need you, screw you. It's much more. A little bit of uh, putting aside the pressures that you feel on a daily basis, and then you know, as soon as the meeting is over, sure, go ahead and have you know that feeling of anxiety and all that. Let it come back, but if we can be in service, take the ball away, all that kind of stuff, I think would really help.
0: Those are great. Uh, Those are really, really good points. And you know, for those, you know, for the listeners out there, especially if you're earlier in your sales career, I mean, that that's that's more senior level selling, right there. It is. You just don't start off with the comfort or confidence to be able to do that. Not that you can't, but I mean, most people, you learn some of that along the way. So that's, uh, thank you for sharing that. I think that's fantastic.
1: Yeah, it may not work in every situation because some sales are much more transactional and some are more consultative and seven figure, more of a committee purchase, if you will. So, you know, I'm putting a little caveat on this point here, but the more we can come across as an advisor, as genuinely wanting to help that customer along, I think the more people will respond and want to do business with you. Yeah, Talk it's uh, People buy, companies don't buy, people buy.
0: That's yeah, so true. So one of the uh, the guests that I had on, um, so his episode actually, I think we'll launch here or we'll air in a, just a week from when we're doing our recording. But, he was a number one global sales rep at a at a company in 2021 calendar year 2021, and it's interesting because he was a consultant prior to being a sales rep. Yes. And his he's a younger guy too, but his level of questioning, the questioning brings along a level um, almost uh, insight and sort of a consultative nature. You know, and he's always digging into the why, he's always digging into the intention. Um, because from the consulting world, what he was explaining to me was that you can think you're doing a fantastic fantastic job but if the customer is expecting something different you fail and so you have to be aligned of what they want and what they need or really what the business needs and then by the way you always need to be reconfirming that because sometimes things change some other executive influences what's important and he just he takes that approach with his large enterprise accounts and when I, when he talks and you know, what i've met with him in the past you could just see that he's he doesn't have this air of desperation when it comes to a deal i mean it's like oh, i take it i could leave it i've got there there i had so many coming in <laughs> Uh, exactly. Uh, you know, yeah. and then people do want to work with them. So yeah, great, great insight.
1: Humble confidence, I guess. You know, a bit
0: of confidence in there. Yeah, I hope that guy trademarked
1: that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Chris, yeah.
0: Well, hey, look, you've been very, this is great feedback and great insight. And you've been very generous with your time. Is there um, anything else that you would like to share uh, before we wrap up?
1: Well, maybe one last tidbit, this is on social media, is mm-hmm. as you are doing your homework and reaching out, talking to your prospects, uh, perhaps just take a moment to, uh, to do the homework on what is, what is that person posting on LinkedIn? And you can absolutely engage with your prospect, right? But in a manner that's very consultative, right? You know, not just like their, their comment in, in the LinkedIn, maybe they posted an article, but offering, hey, that's a really great point you make. Here's another article that you might find interesting. So using social media, again, to educate and to inform and to be of service to a prospect is the way to go. I see a lot of social media from sales reps, seller, sellers who are are just sort of, it's almost spamming. It's almost, it's ambushing prospects. Like, you know what I mean? They'll they'll try to do a connection request and then they'll just immediately go to their product linked, you know, product video or something. That just doesn't work. It's not social media is social for a reason, right? It's social, it's two people getting to know each other. And so the tip over there is just you know, use social media the way you would if you had a conversation with someone in your living
0: room. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Rather and it, that takes time.
1: It, it takes time, yeah. And authenticity. So that's just the parting thought there. Well,
0: I like it. Yeah. It's thank you. Times. Well, so um, one of the questions I always like to ask our guests is um, you know, some of the most successful people that I know know, they love to get back. And the fact that you're on the show today is an example of, you know, you giving oh, back sure. with your time and your experience. Any other um, ways that you give back or charitable organizations that you want to highlight? Oh,
1: I'd love to highlight. Thank you. Thanks, Chris, for uh, bringing that up. I appreciate that very much. And I'm sure all my listeners, everyone who's listening today is, is doing their part to make a difference in your communities. Uh, one I'll, I'll definitely shout out to is here in Silicon Valley, there's an organization that's called Child Advocates of Silicon Valley, Child Advocates of Silicon Valley. The website is Be My Advocate. It's all about fostering children here in Silicon Valley, Santa Clara County. There are about 2,500 children, youth from babies to 17, 18 year olds, um, many of them neglected, abused, um, really terrible situation. This is the heart of Silicon Valley, Chris. You would never <laughs> expect this, right? You wouldn't expect this. And this organization called Child Advocates of Silicon Valley provides a, an adult mentor who works you know, two, three hours a week and is a true adult mentor for this child. And I will tell you this weekly re- um, engagement, weekly relationship over the period of a you know, year so, multiple years changed. Changes lives. The outcomes are astounding. So, you know, a lot of times foster children wind up incarcerated, um, pregnant, suicides. I mean, the outcomes are horrible. With child advocates in Silicon Valley and this mentor paired up with a foster child, um, the the statistics are astounding. Look, like ninety nine, more than ninety percent of them actually go on complete high school, go on into college. Wow. So, uh, I just, you can hear the passion in my voice. Yeah. I was on the board, full disclosure, I was on the board for six years as a vice chairman and they do fantastic work. So I would encourage you to check them out. Okay. And if not this organization in your own, in your own neighborhood, you know, there are people out there who are hurting. What can we do who are privileged um, and very much advantaged? How can we give back? So that's how I want to give back one way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a fantastic organization. And, you know, as you, as you alluded to, there's no shortage of need. So if, uh, if it's, there's not something similar in your area, there, you find another, other organization. Well, if, a, yeah, no, you're welcome. If a listener would like to get a hold of you, how can they reach out?
1: Oh, LinkedIn is always great. S. Ramanathan, I think, is uh, LinkedIn at whatever the URL front end is, S. Ramanathan. Uh, or Twitter, of course, S. Ramanathan. Oddly enough, I'm the only S. Ramanathan, or I got it first. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> Good job. Hold on to that. Yeah. Um, okay, well, we will, uh, so we'll put your LinkedIn connection in the show notes and uh, offer up the link for the charity, charity as well, if uh, anybody wants to go explore that further. Uh, Sreetha, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Oh,
1: thank you. Thank you. Chris, you're offering a great service to all your listeners, and and I'm going to continue to dial in and tune in to your station because every week I pick up little nuggets and I put them to work right away. So thank you, Chris, for putting this
0: out. I appreciate it. That's a huge endorsement. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. Right, bye. Thanks again for joining us today. To get more sales and real estate tips, you can subscribe to our newsletter at HighTechFreedom.com. You can also join our private Facebook and LinkedIn group that is exclusively for sales professionals. If you found a nugget of good information in the podcast, please subscribe, give us a positive rating, and write a review. If there is a topic that you would like us to cover in the future, please send us a note through our website at hightechfreedom.com. Until next week, make this your best week ever.